as long as we keep on aligning sales and marketing with internal KPIs and internal processes, we're forgetting the customer. If today you force your sales guys to report in a system, a linear process, which is a far cry away from the reality in which they need to operate, then it's already impossible to use CRM as a value tool for them. First of all, let's make sure that your organization is taking decisions based on verifiable customer outcomes. That's the key, okay? The perception of the customer is a reality from which we need to start. Welcome to the Revenue Discussion Podcast. This podcast aims to inspire and educate the newest generation of revenue leaders on various subjects related to sales, marketing, revenue operations, and customer success. Every week, we invite an inspirational guest who is willing to share his or her insight, strategies, and tactics that has worked or are still working for him or her. Today, we invited Pascal Persen to the show. Pascal is CEO of Perpetos, where they help companies overcome challenges by delivering commercial excellence. Pascal and his team focus on three domains, being sales enablement, buyer journey enablement, and content strategy. And I really loved our discussion with Pascal because he's telling the hard truth. While you know we might think that well-defined sales processes and automation are key to scalability, Pascal may think otherwise. I'm not gonna say more, just enjoy the episode. Good morning, Pascal, and welcome to the Revenue Discussion Podcast. How are you doing today? Very good, thank you, and uh, thank you for inviting me uh, on your show. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, well, Pascal, today you support organizations in delivering commercial excellence in the areas of sales enablement, uh, content strategy, and buyer journey enablement. But before we want, we, we will deep diving into this. Can you maybe just you know give uh, the audience a short summary of your life accomplishment so far? Um, accomplishments is a, is a big word, uh, <laughs> so I'm, I'm still very humble uh, and glad that I had um, you know, a lot of opportunity of being in the right place uh, at the right time and that is something that uh, you, know, you can not always choose in life. Um, but um, you know, I have a background in technology. I've always worked in uh, technology companies um, until I started uh, Perpetos. Um, and I was, I think, very young already when I started my own uh, technology company. I was only 24 years old um, in days that VC money didn't even exist. Yeah. Um, so I had to do it all by myself. And so, um, you know, from an engineer, when you start uh, your own company, of course, you, you run into sales and you suddenly see that, uh, you know, it's not by having the best product that you sell most. Uh, but it's happened by a good commercial strategy. So I had to, uh, to learn very fast with little money that I had uh, to make it. And so I made it and um, I sold my company to cut a long story short. I sold uh, my company to an American company back in 98. And that allowed me to spend a lot of time in the US where I really saw that sales um, and revenue generation is handled in a totally different way. Hmm. Uh, and as I said earlier, um, it's never, it's almost never the best product that has the highest market uh, share. Okay, and that has to do with how you organize yourself to promote yourself um, and to have a, a revenue generating process that that is aligned with your market readiness and your products. So I learned a lot, and so when I came back to Belgium, 
um, I made it my mission to help European companies, uh, you know, be better, but not by implementing US, by the way, not by implementing things that I learned in the US, but by using the things that I learned in the US to develop a European-based approach, which is combining the strengths of Europe and some of the things that I saw um, in in US, uh, but we'll talk about that later because obviously what I've seen in the past and what is happening today and tomorrow is all also a very different world already. And yeah, I just want exactly to ask the... you, like, yeah, I just want to ask you, like, Pepitos, you you started in two thousand and five. What has been the difference for you from two thousand and five until now? Because I assume your company has changed a lot in. I yeah, say 16 years. well, actually, Pepito started in 2007. Um, and, um, you know, I started by doing research and pulling people together to, to research and to start building really a model of creating, um, you know, commercial, commercial excellence. Although in the beginning days, knowing that my background was uh, technology um, and working internationally, uh, the first actually positioning of Pepitos wasn't commercial excellence, but was scalability how to grow faster. Um, and so all our first customers were also technology companies, which isn't strange if I came from the technology uh, space that I had most empathy uh, to those businesses. Um, but we were hit very heavily. We grew very fast, but we were hit um, very heavily in 2008-9 in the financial crisis, because obviously all our customers were selling investment goods. And what was the first thing that people stopped doing was investing. So mm -hmm. like in three weeks times, in three weeks time in 2000, October, 2008, I won't forget it. We had like almost 75% of our revenue that was put on hold. Wow. And so we had to rethink ourselves. We didn't, um, uh, we kept everybody on board. Um, I told the team that we would invest in the future. Um, you have uh, to, you know, you have to fix your roof when the sun is shining, not in the middle of a storm. Uh, so we invested when things were bad instead of cutting down. Something, by the way, that we did again and is helping us in our growth today that we did again in COVID. Um, we increased our investments instead of uh, pulling back. And that is, uh, we're already seeing the benefits from that that we'll cover definitely um, content-wise in a minute. And so by going into and the necessity of selling into other markets than, um, than technology uh, brought us to the view that, you know, we had a much larger audience um, and that by focusing on commercial next to scalability uh, was the way to go. And then when the digital revolution started to hit um, sales community, that's when uh, we uh, again then um, revamped the company by saying, you know, we need to focus on commercial excellence and not on sales performance because the world has changed. That is interesting. And I think it's, it could be interesting to also understand how you perceived the way we had to do business before the time that you were in the U.S. And then how that changed or what specifically has changed once you came back to Europe, because those are the elements that you want to implement here in the European companies. So I'm kind of interested to know what has really changed there. Um, a couple of things. First of all, I believe that today uh, sales has become a team sport uh, more than ever. And even our entire industry, if you look to all companies that are training companies, consulting companies, most of them are still too much focused on individual performance of salespeople. 
um, we have to start looking at, at uh, sales and that's why I use the word commercial and no longer the word sales hmm. because it's an ecosystem um, because everybody is in sales today. We have better informed buyers, we have more uncertainty and volati volatility than ever before. And so, um, you know, um, the biggest thing that has changed is, uh, in fact, we should have worked always in the way that we should be working today. Let me put it differently. The sales process in B2B has been broken since 25 years. But we were allowed to behave wrong from the customer's perspective because the customer didn't have an alternative. Today, more and more, they have an alternative. And so we are forced to change us because uh, we can no longer control the sales process. The customer has taken over. And that should have been always the case. But again, there was no alternative. There was no internet where people could inform themselves. There was no social media where people could do peer-to-peer peer reference checking. Um, everything was controlled by the sales guy who was setting up reference calls, etc., etc. So the world has changed. And we are still in too large extent um, working in the old way. And, and companies that won't migrate to that new world of really bringing the customer into the heart of their organization are going to struggle more and more. That's amazing. So it's really not about, it's, it's really about giving power to the customer because now he is in charge. It's, uh, he took, it's not about giving him the power, he took the power. But is, is, and either if we build... adapt or we die. Yeah, but if you built a commercial engine or a commercial, you know, excellence strategy, is it then not about how can I give even more power? Can I give, how can I make it even more easier for the customer to manage his or her power? I think the name of the game is very simple, okay? Um, it is enabling your company to do the right thing at the right time with the right messaging with the right people in the customer's organization throughout the customer life cycle. That's the name of the game. So how do you what are then, the game? What are then the, I just want to ask the same thing. Like, how do you, like, how do you then concretely, how should sales organizations then start doing the process of like going to the new way? Well, First of all, as long as we keep on aligning sales and marketing with internal KPIs and internal processes, we're forgetting the customer. Okay. Um, if you work with the sales process, you are pushing information onto the customer when you believe you need to give that information. And again, you forget the customer. So the mindset shift is, how do I enable my sales guys and my marketing people to detect where people are in their buying cycle and then behave accordingly? And that is both skills and messaging. So it's not about aligning marketing and sales, but really aligning the, yeah, the commercial department with the buyer journey. Yes. That's what it's all about. 
So then you have. And so people do a lot of brown paper exercises on customer journeys. Like again, we're going to put them in in buckets. Okay. Um, a very interesting thing we saw through research is that actually every buying cycle is unique. Because remember, um, research also shows that today, on average, there are 6.8 people influencing decisions. So, um, in general, you can say on average, if my sales guys aren't talking to six or seven people within every customer's organization at the same time, there is decision-making happening that I am not aware of, that I'm not influencing. Right. There are people that are influencing and I don't know what their opinion is and, and how they look upon our offering. So you see that the complexity has increased tremendously. And so if we, if we don't deal with that complexity, um, the result is what we see. That is, uh, conversion rates are going down and margins are going down at the same time. And we're saying we have fierce competition. No, there isn't fierce competition. We're not doing what the customer is expecting us to do. Mm -hmm. And you just told us like um, the most important thing is to see where the customer is in his journey, his buying journey. How can then companies concretely like start doing that? What are some, some must-dos as a company to see where your customer is in his buyer journey? Well, first of all, let's make sure that your organization is taking decisions based on verifiable customer outcomes. That's the key, okay? The perception of the customer is a reality from which we need to start. So let me give one example. If a sales guy and a sales manager are reviewing an opportunity, the sales manager should ask the sales guy on the perception of the customer and not about his conclusion. Yeah, I had a great meeting. Uh, the customer loved what I was saying. Um, mm -hmm. And we're going to a next phase where we're going to make a proposal. Okay, and are you going to stress him on and was he open to our strengths ABC? Okay. That is, I think, a traditional conversation that we can all relate to. Okay. In today and tomorrow's world, you are going to ask the sales guy, where is the, the customer in his buying cycle? And how do you know? Because as long as the sales manager and the sales guy, as long as you and I are not agreeing on where a customer is in his buying cycle, and to what extent all the people involved in that buying cycle are aligned in that cycle, or is one already saying, I need it since yesterday, and another one that is trying to pull back and saying, we don't need to change. So do you have a decision-making unit, a buying center that is not aligned? Yeah. Then, you know, your win strategy, your next action should be totally different. So sales managers are asking about the customer environment instead of drawing conclusions and going again into internal storytelling and in creating next mm -hmm. steps. It is about what do we need to achieve with the next step that is what we should discuss and not what are we going to do. So, and also for them, if I'm hearing it right, so the first thing a company should do to go to the new way of selling is define the buying journey before anything else? Or you how don't do you need to start? define the buying journey because the buying journey is in every opportunity is unique. You need to detect where they are and then behave accordingly. It's fuzzy logic. You cannot structure it anymore in a, in a linear process. It's not a linear process because you have multiple people involved, which all go through their buying cycle at a unique pace. 
So the fact that you have multiple people that going through a buying cycle at their own speed, which is not identical, creates fuzzy logic that you cannot put into a linear sales process. It's impossible. It's fuzzy logic. But so when you say you have to locate them in their own buying cycle, you, you really mean their own buying cycle, yes. unique to that customer or to that prospect. Yes. And of course, in reality, um, Dylan, of course, when you are in more transactional, if you are in very complex sales cycles that take like three months, six months or longer, okay, then it's your cost of sales um, allows you to handle that in a very specific way and to be very, um, uh, to very specific and even track and trace it in your CRM system, okay? So that you create an ecosystem where also your pre-sales people and other people involved in signing those deals, you behave again as a selling team, yeah? But when you are in more transactional sales, obviously that would be way too heavy. So the question is then, that complexity is still there, but you know, you don't have the time, it's, 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 uh, it's more transactional. So how do you do it then? Well, then, you know, there's shortcuts that you can take, that you have to take because you have no alternative. So there, let's say that you only talk to one person. Well, we're going to make sure and the sales manager needs to um, coach his sales guy to ask about the other people. You know, you don't have the time to talk to them or they won't even allow access to you, but then at least talk about the other people and get the perception of the perception from your, your contact, which mm -hmm. is even more than knowing nothing, you see? So all the, con you, you feel the way that I'm going, the conversation that the sales guy is having with the customer is changing. Do you find it easy to introduce that, that new type of mindset that should have been there for the 25 last years? Is that easy to introduce that to companies? Of course not, because it's a mind shift. It's a mindset that shift, right? It's like a 180 degree. But let me give you, you know, if you would have said, let's go back into, you know, 120 years when we had the first cars, everybody was uh, riding his horse with his carriage. If you would have said then that we would all drive cars today and not that 10 or 20 kilometers an hour, but at 120, who would have believed you? Nobody. Was it easy to move from a horse carriage to driving a car? No, but we all did it. And we all came out with more luxury and, and you know, better ways of transport. So the future isn't the future today in sales um, isn't looking bad. It has never been more positive than today. Only we have to tackle it in a different way. That's funny how, do you, uh, how you, um, you make a comparison with that story, because is it, is it also in some way how you look at how you could introduce that new way of, of, uh, of viewing at sales uh, into, into the existing companies? Because I think it's a, it is a challenge to introduce it, even though it does make sense. If you explain it to me like that, I can follow you. But I can imagine that, you know, organizational-wise, structured-wise, with the processes, with the existing processes, it's kind of a challenge. But how do you make it then happen that people actually take the steps towards a, 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 better, a better approach? Yeah. Actually, the first thing is, I, I hate the word burning platform and the revolution because that only led to a lot of bloodshed 
revolution in the past has never been uh, positive. Uh, it always came with a lot of a lot of negative. Okay, so um, we are lucky in a way that the transition that I'm talking about isn't happening overnight, but it is exponential change. And so what is um, danger about exponential change is if you look to an exponential curve in the beginning, for a long term, it's flat. It's so slow. you feel like what the guy is saying isn't correct because I don't see it. And then suddenly, bam, it's dead. And then you're caught by surprise. And that's then when you have to need your revolution. And because otherwise, you know, you're doomed to disappear. So, so um, where, our where message is the following. Our messaging is the following, Dylan. Um, you don't need a revolution. Start today with incremental change. And the first step is we all know that there is a lot of volatility already today. So the question is not what is our goal, but do I install a culture of continuous improvement and of continuous learning? Love that one. The situation of today is the situation it is. And so what are we going to do different tomorrow in small steps that allows people to digest the change without the need of a revolution? And so that's the positive message we're sending. And every customer has a different culture and willingness to change. And all markets and their customers are also more or less progressive. So there is a very simple way to detect the willingness and the readiness of a company to move and the need to which they need to move because of their environment. And based on those two parameters, you start with gradual implementation so that you, know, you can create that ecosystem where people can transition to a new world without all the negatives of burning platforms and revolutions. It's a positive message. And so when you come into a company to do the, the change, like the incremental change, the continuous improvement that they have to do, are there certain steps you always do in the beginning? Like certain analysis, certain things you even install from the beginning? In many cases, we developed a quick scan tool um, that allows us to make a very quick um, mapping of that situation so that we know where we can start doing incremental uh, incremental change because um, I'm a strong believer that whatever you implement in a company should never be a cost but always an investment that pays itself back. So the name of the game is where is the readiness already and the need for change in the company and start by that point. So we have done a lot of research and a lot of investments in productizing the road to commercial excellence, for which we also build analysis tools and for which we are working with um, external academia to making sure that we look at research um, as well and take that into account. Um, but when you go through that process, um, the, the good thing is that when you, if you implement it based on the situation of the customer, and the implementation is unique. So the process and methodology is the same, but the way you implement is the way you implement it and the speed at which you implement this is unique for every customer. And so that's what we do through our quick scan. So that when we come out of the gate, 
we can immediately start with incremental improvement based on the existing situation. So we won't come with the vision of the future with huge changes and revolution that needs to take happen to create that burning platform. No, we strive to do the same thing that commercial is expecting to do with their customers. Our mission at Perpetos is to be relevant and adding value in every touch point we do with the customer and creating incremental improvement. And then these changes are positive because everybody sees its life improving. So it's always a positive study. We're, we've been looking to change way too much. You know, I have a saying, the only people that like change are babies with a wet diaper. <laughs> I can see why. <laughs> yeah. So we should look at, you know, change not as a negative thing, but on what can I do different incremental in small steps that is improving my own situation. And that is by also creating as a company an ecosystem of commercial uh, of commercial excellence, a support system by using technology in the right way, different pieces of technology that didn't even exist until a couple of years ago that needs to be added and bolded on to the support system of the sales guy. CRM as a coaching tool, not as a reporting tool. There's many things that we can improve in today's life of salespeople. Sales is spending way too much time in administration. That's another thing that I'm saying. If sales would have loved to do administration, they would have become a secretary and not a sales guy. So, so if um, you combine the, um, you know, the fact that change is a difficult thing and the fact that we are living in Belgium, um, I think it's, it's a big challenge for you to make all those things happen in, uh, in Belgium. So my question is, do you see it? Do you, are you also active in other markets than in Belgium solely? And do you see their differences? Actually, most of our revenue comes from global deployments. Okay. So we work from Australia, China. Uh, we opened during COVID, we opened an office in, in, uh, in China uh, to be able to follow our customers. And of course, uh, China, you have to, you have to uh, do your implementations in Chinese. Uh, so we started uh, already in 2018 with freelancers in China, uh, but then we moved to our own office uh, in China uh, that, that we opened during COVID. So, um, so yes, we do. We work from China all the way to South Africa um, and from Norway to the southern parts of Europe. Um, That's interesting. Which, which is interesting because that gives us a global perspective to see how the different markets are behaving, how it is different. And, you know, uh, Belgium is an export company, is an export country. So, um, you know, there's a lot of potential. There's a huge potential for, for Belgian companies to sell even more uh, to, other, to other nations than we do today. Uh, I have a question some, about something else, actually. I'm going to go back a bit. You said people don't like change. Um, so when you're implementing that change, how do you go about? Because I've heard for the companies you're working for, they're very big companies. So is it in a kind of agile way? I, I know you don't like the word agile, but you, could all, you call it controlled agile. How do you go about in those implementations? Yeah, well, um, so... Remember that I just said incremental, incremental change and incremental improvement. 
the only way to do that is by having some kind of a dashboard in your implementation where you have leading indicators that are showing if you're moving in the right direction and then at some day you will also start seeing the impact in your margin your cost of sales your conversion rates okay so you need leading indicators so so we set up a dashboard and we decide on leading indicators that allows us you know to continuously change what we're doing the speed what is the adoption of people um, to what extent are they understanding um, what needs to happen so do they see the need um, do they understand the change? Do they try to implement it? To what extent are they successful? And so by having these things uh, mapped out, you can change the speed with which you work. And even within a company, actually for us, even if we do sales training, because of course, change in sales and sales and marketing involves people and people need to be trained in, on these uh, changes. So a part of our revenue is of course training. So let me use training as an example. There aren't two groups in a company that moved through the program at the same speed because we adapt. Every training is adapted to the adoption rate and understanding of the people that we will have in the session today. So that also requires a different way of training um, and setting up trainings and how you design the learning paths that must be much more individualized. Okay. So do you need an agile approach, Martin? Yes, you need an agile because what I am describing is agile. You work with sprints, you know, we use in our implementation um, ways that are typical already since quite some time in software industry with scrum and sprints. And those are terminology that we all know from software development, which I know from my technology days. But, um, but we are adopting those kind of techniques in the way we implement our, the change when customers. But yes, we do it in a controlled way. And that's why I love controlled. Again, I said, I don't like a revolution. So I'm not saying that the waterfall process of that we learned in Prince 2 and other methodologies, that there's nothing good in it and that we have to throw it overboard and I'll all go agile because agile, you know, is creating a, such an unstable situation that there are very little people the amount of people able to handle such an uncertainty for such a long time is not good. So that's why we work in a controlled, what we call controlled agile way. We are, we are combining the advantages of structured implementation, measurement and improvement with some of the agile, uh, agile elements which are needed in this volatile uh, and uncertain markets of today. What I notice is that you know, when, when you talk about uh, a prospect or customer, they have their own unique buying cycle. When you give a training to a, to a sales team, I mean, two different teams, they have their different adoption rates. So, you know, I, I'm very curious on your vision about automation and sales tech that are coming up and how do you view them or how should they impact the current processes within companies? Should they help the processes or should processes, you know, kind of have an influence on the sales tech that is being implemented? And how does automation come into place there? I'm kind of curious on, on your opinion. I'm not fond of automation because automation means again, forgetting about the customer right. because you put in algorithms that stuff starts happening as if you presume that it is. And I believe we are still a long way 
uh, it's still a long way before really the real artificial intelligence will really start to help us. Am I fond of technology? Of course, and I have a technology background, which is the beauty. You know, I can, I can today. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm like in a, um, in a theme park. You know, I'm like at Disney. If I, in my job today, I feel like I'm t every day. You know, a in, in a fun park, in a fun park. Why? Because you know, technology and people are going hand in hand. So I have the strengths of my past and the strengths of my today or my last ten years. Um, of being in this industry with commercial excellence, I can combine them. So for me, it's like the ideal world. I'm, I'm, I'm in my hobby. Um, so am I fond of technology? Yes. Are we using too little technology in sales today? Yes. Are um, management teams still too much looking at the cost of sale of uh, technology? Yes. You know, I hate it when people say, you know, we're going to add another piece of technology, which is going to cost 25 euro uh per person and if we add that up to our 20 sales guys look on how our cost is going to go up and i'm like hold <laughs> on here uh your sales guys are costing what between seven to ten thousand euro a month and so we shouldn't look at that it's cash out on 25 multiplied by but no with that 25 euro what are we improving in terms of efficiency and effectiveness of our salespeople? And that number should go up. So it's not a cost. If it's an investment, if it's a cost, don't do it. If it's an investment, it must have, you know, it must have an ROI that we can that we can predict on forehand. Otherwise, why would we invest? Lovely. And so since we are in a recurring revenue model, we start thinking in terms of a commodity, right? It's a recurring model, it's 25. And so we're not used to that. But I believe that we should keep on thinking in terms of investment and saying, you know, using the software, maintaining the software, creating an environment that the software is properly used. How much is that going to cost us in the next five years compared to what is the efficiency and, and efficiency and effectiveness improvement on our sales? And as long as that calculation is positive, let's go for it. Otherwise, don't do it. It's to yeah, make sense. We had a podcast with Kuhn de Witte that was launched today as well. Uh, he was saying the same, that sales tools are still uh, like evolving. It's behind the MarTech where it's now. So I'm curious about your opinion. What are for you some of the best sales tools that there are coming up right now? I believe we should go back to the basics. In most companies, they are already using CRM but they're using CRM as a reporting system. And most of the salespeople don't use it day to day, but update it just before they know that their manager is going to do reporting. Okay. So when we see in, in the implementations that we've been doing the last couple of years, in every engagement, we've been active, we have had to do serious modifications in the CRM. And so the number one question in technology today is go back to basics and ask yourself, how are we going to upgrade our CRM system so that it is a day-to-day -day value adding piece of technology for the sales guy and not reporting tool. And so 
one thing is already I understand if you if you put like for your opportunities we go back to that linear step process if today you force your sales guys to report in a system a linear process which is a far cry away from the reality in which they need to operate then it's already impossible to use CRM as a value tool for them so already the setup of your process flow in CRM is already messed up so you know that's we have to go back to the basics if we make sure that the CRM system is showing and gluing onto the day-to-day -day activities of the sales guys you can have a high adoption rate and luckily for us we have very good examples of customers where you see that this that the CRM system is continuously the adoption rates are continuously improving because we keep on adding value to it so that's the first thing the second step is uh, we have a new industry which is called sales enablement and we are lucky in Belgium to have um, you know the company Showpad who is whom is spearheading that industry globally um, so it's it's also already good to see how Showpad evolved through the years from almost an asset management and last mile visibility of what is happening with our assets in the sales to now becoming really an empowerment tool for the sales guys where peer-to-peer -peer coaching and learning is part of it where so where the role of the sales manager is becoming more an orchestrator and not the one who is managing uh, the business and so tools like Showpad are allowing um, you know to to support that move towards commercial um, as an ecosystem as a systemic way of working uh, so that's one but then you have everything that you know I, I believe there are more than than 200 types of technology out there already uh, from very early stage to mature for sales and of course it depends on you know how have you broken your sales uh, your the buying cycles how have you broken them up to or is there in your company a need to break them up over multiple people that work together throughout the buying cycle? But I can, in the tech companies where they use the sales development representatives, which, you know, need to create and, and, and fill the pipe together with the lead uh, demand generation from marketing. Of course, these guys need a lot of technology to make them effective um, in today's market. If you already see how also with the cookies that are going to change, we're going to lose some mm. of the of the levers. And I'm glad with that, by the way, because we again were abusing customers. Everybody knows today about everybody of us gets those um, emails or those LinkedIn messages like, hey, I would like to link with you. I have value to offer, blah, blah, blah. And they're pitching their company again like they are talking, bro talking brochures. Okay. So, yes, luckily that, you know, we are making it more difficult for these type of salespeople, you know, to continuously interfere in our day to day. So, but a lot of technology is coming up and, uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more technology uh, need and adoption in, in the future. Absolutely. Have you ever thought of building your own sales tech type of company? Because you are a computer and telecom uh, person uh, from the beginning. And now you are completely in a, in a commercial story. So have you ever thought of uh, building something you own? Actually, we are heavily involved in, in technology, but we don't, but we don't build it. Okay. 
um, I don't see it in as an as a challenge. You know, when I left the technology space, it was like um, been there, seen it, done it. Okay, and so I could have done multiple things. I could have started investing in startups again, but I was so young that I really wanted, you know, a second life, something totally new, something where I could really go flat out and had to learn and challenge myself again. Um, so I, I'm glad, as I said, that we are involved with so much technology today. Um, we have customers that spend, you know, 400 euro a month on sales, on, on technology stack per sales guy. Yeah. Uh, but, but I don't see a need why I would create my own stack again and, and you know, mm-hmm. reinvent the wheel. There is so much out there that making sure that it's properly used and that the right tools are integrated in a proper way is already so complicated um, uh, and gives me more reward than trying to do again what I've done, you know, 30 years ago. I get that. I get that. Um, I have a question on your vision about uh, outbound sales versus inbound sales, because you said something of, you know, sending text or emails, um, text through LinkedIn or sending emails that customers or potential customers are not really expecting. So to me, that's kind of the, I mean, you could say it's the bad way of doing outbound sales, but maybe you have a better way of doing outbound or I am totally not a big believer of outbound and it's the customer that needs to come to you. That's why you have to need you have to have a great content strategy in place and you are a big believer of inbound. So I'm kind of curious about that. I'm going to have to disappoint you, Dylan. Uh, (laughs) I believe in both. I mean, they go hand in hand. Okay. Even, even if you have a strong uh, lead generation process, okay. And, and through the inbound and your content strategy, you can do a lot of um, uh, qualification. Okay. Um, you need to have a good view on the market and to have a good view on the market, you need outbound as well. Okay. Um, and it depends a bit again on what is your deal size, what is the length of your buying cycles. Uh, so there is not a, um, there is not a, a one fit all, uh, mm-hmm. um, to it. If you want to grow faster than the market, then in some cases, you know, you need to, you need to spend more time in outbound. Um, if you really want to massively fast grow, but it's all about creating again, that ecosystem where, um, you know, the combination of activities you're doing are, and I'm going to repeat what I said, um, uh, before it is, what am I doing to making sure that every digital touch point and every human touch point, whether it's coming from marketing or from sales, whatever that we are doing the right thing at the right time with the right message and the right people. And so if we're adding value in every touch point, am I open to receive invitations on LinkedIn? Of course. But my question is not what do you want to provide me, but how are you going to help me? And so let me, let me give you another uh, piece of research um, that, that, that to me is stunning and is proving my point. Okay. Um, 80% of customers today are saying that salespeople do not add value in sales calls and therefore they see no need to meet with them. So I see companies coming to me and saying, we need to increase the activity levels of our sales guys. Why are customers 
you know, we need to figure out a way to, to, be, to, to break open the doors again. And I'm saying, you won't be successful. You need to question differently. It is, mm-hmm. why should they be talking to you? And answer that question. How to add so value. we're looking at that the wrong way. So that's 80% of people saying sales are not adding value. Okay. Yet, 83% of those, um, of executives, you know, that's another piece of research where more than 80% of the executives say, we buy from the vendor that helps shape the vision of a solution. It helps. We don't buy from the cheapest. We help from those. We buy from those that helped us shape the solution. That brought awareness in what do we need to change? Why? And not what do I need to buy? Why? And that's why, you know, techniques like spin that we use and that we tend to use as value selling methodologies and, you know, going away from feature benefit. But even spin is outdated because spin is still starting from your product and not starting from the customer situation. It's earlier in the buying cycle that's happening. So we've been focused on the active buying cycle. You know, when people say they have a need, actually, if you want to influence value, you need to do that when the customer is not in an active buying cycle, because otherwise he is already his He's already preconceived in what he thinks he needs to buy. Mm. Once his decision criteria are fixed, you know, you are in defensive mode and then you can use spin. Yes, spin is a very good technique. I'm not against spin, you know, to give you only one example, because, you know, there's many of those around. Right. Um, but, but the question is not that. The question is, how can I influence the customer that next time that he's going to buy, that he's going to use other decision criteria that are better aligned with the strength of my company and my offering. And then you shape the vision of the solution. And then you shape, but that means that our sales guys, the sales guys face-to-face touch points will be in, or are, not will be, are in other phases of the buying cycle than what they're used to do. How many companies say our inbound is to make sure that all the RFPs come in? And so since 20 years, we're saying value selling and solution selling is about, you know, being able to influence, to influence um, the RFP coming out, the tender coming out. Well, the message today is no, executives are saying we need sales guys even the step before that are helping us to define the scope about what we are going to market. So it's the phase even before that salespeople need to be in. And that's the big transition and transformation for, for content, for other skills. There are other competencies needed for sales guys. There is other content needed. And that's why we need tools like, um, uh, like Showpad because the complexity of the messaging is way too high for salespeople to be able to say the right thing and every sales call they have during the day. So they need that technology to help enrich the conversation and and support them in making sure they say and they discuss the right topics at the right time. But so they need again, 
Therefore, they need those techniques to detect the readiness to buy, to detect where people are in their decision making, because if they don't have the competence and the skills to detect that, they don't know how to align themselves with and facilitate that buying cycle. So what is for you the kind of the future of the sales profession then? Is it, that, is it really about being an expert and consultant to the business of potential clients? No, because the world is too complex for that. Um, I believe that there is so much information out there that even what customers are reading might be correct, but might also be not relevant for their situation. So interesting in the US, um, you see some, some professors already, you know, focus in sales, um, saying that um, salespeople, and again, it's, it's just a metaphor, but uh, salespeople are becoming information brokers. You know, hmm. helping customers that they understand what information is out there that is relevant for them in their particular situation. Everybody, everything is out there. We don't have to reinvent things. It's out there. It's just hmm. our customers influencing themselves based on, on information that is relevant for their particular situation. How do they know if they are for the first time um, involved in challenges they never had before then, and they read something on the internet? Let's make it simple. How do they know that what they're reading is relevant? We, they don't even know whether it's correct or not. You know, there's a lot of fake news out there, mm -hmm. not only in political and economic environments, also in our business to business. There is a lot of fake news. So how do you how do we help customers? Uh, making sure that, you know, what they are doing and we support them in every step of the way. And that is, again, with and that's dependent from uh, you know, from company to company, what they are selling, what the complexity of their offering is, um, how mature their customers are in buying their products or services, uh, means that the mechanism of the right mix of human and digital touch points is totally different and is what needs to be optimized to keep the cost of sales under control. And that mix of digital touch points and human touch points and outbound and inbound we don't have two customers with the same mix. I've had a question completely different. It's about research because you're mentioning it a lot, like research from this, research from there. What are for you the best sources of research? Where do you go and educate yourself? Um, well, obviously, we are too small to do our own research other than, um, you know, some things we do through uh, the business schools that we are aligned with. Um, but um, what we continuously do is, 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 in fact, meta research. We're looking to the research what is out there, read them, analyze them, check to what extent um, we can confirm that with what we see uh, with our prospects and customers. Um, and then based on that, there's a lot of information out there. Um, and again, because there's so much, Martin, I, I can't give you a straight answer because it again it will depend what industry is a customer in, what is a maturity or his things, because there's a lot of research that 
might become valuable insight for a customer at a certain point in time, but isn't yet valuable for them at this particular time. Yeah. Uh, let me give you another example. We, we see that there's research out there that says our biggest, our biggest competitor today is the customer taking no decision. Well, we see that indeed. With many of our customers, we see that the customer didn't change vendor in a recurring model, or the customer didn't buy and didn't sign a contract at all, as the, indeed the highest reason for uh, no win in the, in the cycle. So that's also where I say in CRM today, are you able to know what your real competitive win-loss is? Are you measuring today win-loss against one and closed as non-one? Or are you dividing your non-one in, but did the customer buy? Because if the customer didn't buy, you didn't lose. The customer didn't buy yet. And so if you see that a lot of opportunities are closing as the customer didn't take a decision, then obviously what we need to do as sales is totally different. What we need to do in terms of tooling from marketing to help sales is different because then we don't have to be stronger in our offering. No, we need, we need why change messaging. We don't need why us messaging for the customer to buy from us because he isn't buying. So we need messaging that is going into why change. And that goes back to what I said that is earlier in the buying cycle. Right. That you need to bring that value. And that's where the executives are saying, help us shape the solution we need. It is why change is not why us. Pascal, thank you so much for all the information that you gave us here today. I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it shouldn't have been like that, but it's kind of a new way of uh, viewing it. I think uh, Marta and I from now on will be more customer centric or at least have the client uh, at the heart of anything that we do. Uh, thank you for that. If people want to reach out to you, find out more about Petpetos, where can they uh, reach out? Well, they can go just to our website or reach out to me on LinkedIn um, or go to our website, petpetos.com. We have a library uh, with content, with eBooks. Uh, so we, we drink our own champagne. Uh, we are creating our own content. Uh, that helps customers in why they need to change and not why they need to buy from us. Um, so there's a lot of information out there. And if they don't find it, just reach out. We are always happy to help people out. Perfect. Before the we let you go. Conversation is the easiest thing to do nowadays. <laughs> That's true with uh, everything from LinkedIn. It's, uh, it makes it very easy. So before we let you go, we have one more question. We ask it every guest uh, and it is, if Pascal were a brand, where would it stand for? Excuse me, can you repeat the question? What if? if? If Pascal were a brand, where would it stand for? Enabling people to reach their full potential. All right. Nice. Strong one. Pascal, thank you very much for being on the show. And I wish you a lot of luck. Thank you very much for the opportunity talking to you guys.